Welcome to the latest episode of Puritans and Pastoring. I am your host, uh, Stephen Drazen, and today we are looking at uh, Joseph Allain's work, A Sure Guide to Heaven, uh, one of the classic Puritan works on evangelism, and this is uh, published by Banner of Truth Trust. Uh, uh, it was previously published under the title An Alarm to the Unconverted. Uh, the reason we're looking at Joseph Allen's work is that uh, the Puritans uh, were known for their zeal in evangelism, and in that regard, uh, they ministered in a peculiar context. Uh, England uh, uh, was known for its nominalism. I think uh, one thing, especially pastors in the South, uh, need to learn from the Puritans is how to bring the gospel to those who are nominally Christian. And uh, the Meet the Puritans uh, by Joel Beakey and uh, Randall Peterson, uh, they, they uh, cover the Puritans and they have a little biographical information on Joseph Elaine, uh, w which helps give us insight in into what made him tick. Uh, authors uh, write in this work, ejected for nonconformity in 1662. Uh, that's uh, the St. Bartholomew's The Great Ejection, uh, when they refused uh, the acts of uniformity. It says that uh, Elaine took the opportunity to increase his public labors. So he's kicked out of his pulpit and he increases his ministry. Goes on saying, believing that his remaining time was short, he preached on average one or two sermons every day for nine months until he was arrested and cast into prison. The night before, Elaine had preached and prayed with his people for three hours and had declared, Glory be to God that hath accounted me worthy to suffer for his gospel. Authors go on, Elaine's prison cell became his pulpit as he continued to preach to his people through the prison bars. He also wrote numerous pastoral letters and theological articles released on May 20th, 1664. At, after about a year in prison, he resumed his forbidden ministry until rested again on July 10th, 1665 for holding a conventicle. Once more released from prison, his remaining time was full of troubles and persecutions nobly born. He returned to Taunton in February 1668, where he became very ill. Nine months later, at the age of 34, weary from hard work and suffering, Elaine died in full assurance of faith, praising God, and saying, Christ is mine and I am his, his by covenant. It's one of the great works on uh, evangelism. Uh, the authors, uh, in uh, addressing uh, further titles uh, uh, written by Elaine, uh, say regarding uh, this book, uh, that this book that we're looking at today has been reprinted some 500 times, and it's uh, the most famous of Elaine's treatises, and that it was influenced the evangelistic approach of uh, men such as Whitfield and Spurgeon. And so with that, uh, we go to look at, at this, A Sure Guide to Heaven. Uh, Elena begins uh, this book by showing us uh, the biblical definition of conversion in his introduction. Uh, he says uh, that he will show what conversion is, that he will show the necessity of conversion, the marks of the unconverted, the misery of the unconverted, the means of conversion, and the motives of conversion. And in his first chapter, in addressing uh, mistakes about conversion, uh, he sh uh, begins uh, showing that conversion is not taking upon us the profession of Christianity. 
It's not simply a profession of faith in Christ that saves us. It's actually being a genuine follower of Christ. It's not just a name and it has to, it has to be a reality. Next, uh, he addresses a, a popular misconception of his day that baptism made uh, one uh, a convert. He says conversion is not putting on the badge of Christ in baptism. goes on to say uh, Ananias and Sapphira and Simon Magus were baptized as well as the rest. How many make a mistake here deceiving and being deceived, dreaming that effectual grace is necessarily tied to the external administration of baptism so that every baptized person is regenerated not only sacramentally but really improperly. So coming out of that Church of England tradition, he is uh, arguing against that, that uh, just being sprinkled with water, as they would have done, uh, does not make one a genuine convert. Shows that conversion is not merely moral righteousness. Uh, he says conversion is not the mere chaining up of corruption by education, human laws, or the force of affliction. You know, uh, sometimes uh, people can get the mistaken understanding that conversion is just self-improvement, and he is clear, uh, demonstrating from Scripture, that that is not the case. So shows uh, that conversion does not consist in illumination or conviction or a superficial change or partial reformation. Shows uh, Felix trembling under uh, judgment and acts. Uh, uh, many men are almost... Christians, but being an almost Christian does not make you a Christian. With those mistakes addressed, uh, he goes on to the second nature to show uh, how conversion is really the work of God. He shows uh, that the author of conversion is the Spirit of God. He goes on to say, so then conversion is a work above man's power. We are not born we are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's a helpful reminder for us uh, who labor in pastoral ministry that conversion is a supernatural work. It's not something that we can affect uh, uh, in the life of someone else. Uh, it, it is something uh, that God must do, and God has ordained to use instrumental causes. Elena shows uh, the that the personal instrument of conversion is the ministry. Citing uh, 1 Corinthians 4.15, uh, Paul saying, In Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. It is through gospel ministry that uh, we often see conversion come about. And speaking to those uh, in the church, uh, Elaine says, O ye saints, how you shall love the word, for by this you have been converted you have felt its renewing power. Make much of it while you live. Be ever thankful for it. Tie it about your neck. Write it upon your hand. Lay it in your bosom. When you go, let it lead you. When you sleep, let it keep you. When you wake, let it talk with you. Say with the psalmist, I will never forget thy precepts, for by them thou hast quickened me. Speaking to the unconverted regarding the word and personal ministry, Elaine says, You that are unconverted, read the word with diligence. Flock to where it is powerfully preached. Pray for the coming of the Spirit and the word. Come from your knees 
to the sermon and come from the sermon to your knees. The sermon does not prosper because it is not watered by prayers and tears nor covered by meditation. Uh, I think that's a good response uh, to those who say uh, they don't get anything out of preaching. They get nothing out because they put nothing in. Uh, they don't meditate on it as they should for their benefit. Elena in this uh, uh, deals with some uh, wanting to focus upon election before conversion. He says, you begin at the wrong end if you first dispute about your election. Prove your conversion and never doubt your election. Uh, you see similar thinking uh, in uh, men such as Robert Murray McShane in the 19th century. McShane uh, says, don't ask uh, if you're elect. Ask if I'm a sinner for Christ came to save sinners. Shows how conversion changes the whole man, uh, every part of us. Uh, that we cannot div divorce uh, the office of Christ, or we cannot minimize the difference that conversion makes in the individual. That conversion is indeed a turning from sin to Christ. In our de own day and age, uh, we see uh, men minimize this, where it's a simple where. Especially in free grace circles, a conversion is turned to nothing more than uh, intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel. But Elaine shows biblically that conversion is indeed a turning from sin, a turning from Satan to the person of Christ and trusting in him and following him, all of him, not just part of him. So when we think about our own day and age where uh, we see those wanting to divorce the office of Savior from the office of Lord, uh, Lane reminds us that that cannot be done faithfully. Scripture will not allow it. Uh, we cannot divide Christ that way. And in his third chapter, he addresses the necessity of conversion now. This is very important. Uh, many people in his own day would think that they were comforted uh, by uh, their infant baptism, but Elaine shows uh, that everything depends upon this conversion. His first statement is, without conversion your being is in vain. It is not a pity you should be good for nothing and un. Is it not a pity that you should be good for nothing, an unprofitable burden on the earth, a mere wart in the body of the universe? Thus you are while unconverted, for you cannot answer the end of your being. Is it not for the divine pleasure that you are and were created? Did not God make you for himself? So he's showing that we can't be what God has created us to be apart from conversion. The whole visible creation is vain without conversion. It says, God has made all the visible creatures in heaven and earth for the service of man, and man only is the spokesman for all the rest. Man is in the world like the tongue to the body, which speaks for all the members. And that apart from conversion, uh, the creation groans. Is that our religiosity, our religion without conversion is vain. Our hopes are in vain without conversion. 
without conversion, all that Christ has done and suffered will be to as to you in vain. All the office of Christ, if we are not converted, uh, do us no good. And, and he addresses the marks of the unconverted. He addresses sin, uh, the unclean, the covetous, uh, drunkards, liars, swearers, railers, and backbiters, thieves, extortioners, frequenters, and lovers of vain company, scoffers at religion, uh, Shows a gross and willful ignorance is a mark of unconversion. Lane says, Ah, would it not have grieved a, a man's heart to see that dreadful spectacle when the poor Protestants were shut up in a barn and a butcher came with his hands warmed in human blood and let them one by one blindfolded to block where he slew them one after another by scores in cold blood? But how much more should your hearts bleed to think of the hundreds that ignorance destroys in secret and leads blindfold to the block? Beware that this is not your case. Make no plea for ignorance. If you spare that sin, know that it will not spare you. And would a man keep a murderer in his bosom? Again, touching upon what we looked at last time, the importance of putting to death sin. Shows that the the unconverted have a wrong motive and holy duties. You know, an unconverted person can do all the same outward acts as a converted person, but they do it for the wrong reason. There's a self-deceit that lies there. They trust their own righteousness. It says that there is a secret enmity against the strictness of religion, and we see this in church history. Uh, uh, the Puritans in their day... Uh, labeled such because of uh, their devotion to Christ, uh, because uh, most common people called those who are committed Christians Puritans. There's the malice and disrespect present. Towards the end uh, he, of this book, he addresses the miseries of the unconverted. So often... Uh, uh, we don't show people the present ministry misery that comes with being unconverted. So often we focus only on hell, but there is a present mi misery that we must point to. It says that infinite God is engaged against you. Lane goes on, it is no small part of your misery that you are without God. How does Micah run crying after the Danites? You have taken away my gods, and what have I more? What a morning then must you lift up who are without God, who can lay no claim to him without daring usurpation. How piercing a moan is that of Saul in his last extremity. The Philistines are upon me, and God has departed from me. Sinners, what will you do in the day of your visitation? Where will you flee to for help? As the truth of the matter is, we are without God if we are not converted. And he shows ways that, that God is presently against us and un, un, if we are unconverted. He says his face is against you. Secondly, his heart is against you. Third, all his attributes are against you. His, he says his Justice is like a flaming sword unsheathed against you. 
The holiness of God is against you. He is not only angry with you, so he may be with his children, but he has a fixed habitual displeasure against you. God's nature is infinitely contrary to sin, and so he cannot delight in a sinner out of Christ. Power of God is mounted like a mighty cannon against you. Pastorally, that's helpful for us, those of us who preach to remind people of the misery that they're in. After looking at God being against them, he shows uh, that the creation is against them. Well, he says, I think this should be a terror to an unconverted soul to think he is a burden to the creation. Our very existence causes the creation to groan. He goes on to say, if any inanimate creatures could but speak, your food would say, Lord, must I nurse such a wretch as this and yield forth my strength for him to dishonor thee? No, I will choke him rather if thou wilt give the commission. The very air would say, Lord, must I give this man breath to set his tongue against heaven and scorn thy people in Venice for pride and wrath and filthy talk and belch out oaths and blasphemy against thee? No, if thou wilt but say the word, he shall be breathless for me. Shows that Satan has power over us in unconversion, that the guilt of all sins lie like a mountain upon that the lust continue to enslave an unconverted person, that the furnace of eternal vengeance is heated for those who are converted. Again, uh, the reality of hell, which is often minimized in our day and age. And he gives directions uh, to the unconverted. He tells them to sit down. He says, set it down with yourself as an undoubted truth that it is impossible for you ever to get to heaven in this your unconverted state tells them to labor to get a thorough sight and lively sense and feeling of your sins. No one could ever charge the Puritans with healing the wounds of their people lightly. They're called to renounce their sins, uh, to come uh, to Christ, and to choose to follow after Christ, uh, which is a helpful corrective of uh, some of the soft evangelism in our day, which minimizes uh, the enormity of sin and uh, the call upon God in our life and conversion. It tells the unconverted to forsake evil company. We know that to be scripturally true, that bad company corrupts good character. It shows the motives to conversion. How God invites us to come to know him, to turn to him, the privileges that we have in this life, uh, and uh, what is promised to us in eternity. Now, it's interesting, uh, in the Reformed community today, uh, there's some objection to Romans uh, 3.20 being used in the context of evangelism, but Elaine does it here. In talking about how God offers all grace to enable you, Lane says, what though you are plunged into the ditch of that misery from which you can never get out, Christ offers to help you out. He reaches his hand to you, and if you perish, it is for refusing his help. Behold, I stand at the door to knock. If any man open to me, I will come to him. 
What though you are poor and wretched and blind and naked, Christ offers a cure for your blindness, a covering for your nakedness, riches for your poverty. And so Elena closes with that, closes with, with showing uh, the utter need uh, for conversion. Now, he was applying to the those who thought themselves Christians, those who thought themselves uh, in, in a position of comfort. And so it, we see in this book uh, that there, there is much to commend uh, the Puritans as a guide for evangelism. 